0: Good morning and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5, we are grateful for you being here today and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you and enjoy the stream. outside. Uh, just kind of feel that, that Christmas of the of the fall air. And God, anytime these seasons come in, it just reminds us of your faithfulness. It was first thing this morning I got here. It was about uh, 6.15, 6.20. Caleb was already in the building and I came walking up across that parking lot and the stars were shining so bright and just could feel that cold air. I walked in and uh, I said, hey, Caleb, a beautiful day, isn't it? And uh, Caleb, he said, absolutely. And I know why he meant that. He meant that because of the cold. He he likes that cold weather. Uh, but I said to him, man, it'd be a great day for the Lord Jesus to return. And he said, yeah, it would. And Father, we are. We are we're expectantly awaiting your return. And when we see the images that we're seeing on our television right now in the nation of Israel, uh, God, it reminds us that your return is imminent. Uh, It could happen at any moment. And you tell us in your word to pray for the peace of Israel. And so, God, we want to pray for them today. We want to pray for all those who right now are being affected by war. Uh, God, not just the Israelis, but even the Palestinians, because here's the truth, God, there are many people in both of those countries right now. uh, They do not know you as their Savior. And because of war and because of bombs and these things, there are many going to die today that do not have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And we need to pray. We need to pray that there would be a messenger. We need to pray there would be someone in the midst of of the chaos that's maybe walking the streets today and telling people how to have a right relationship with you. And so we want to pray for them. Uh, God, we want to pray not just for them, but for the lost all over the world. Uh, They're lost, God, not only uh, in in the uttermost parts of the earth, but there are lost people sitting in this room today. And we always want to give an invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, it is a great honor to be able to stand here today and declare the gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation, in the hopes that somebody might give their life to you. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We pray that you might have your will and your way in this service. And pray, Father, we would walk out of here forever changed by the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Listen, as we're thinking about folks coming and visiting, we oftentimes have those individuals who come. Uh, to the church and they visit for some time and then they want to become members of our family here today we have three individuals and i'm going to ask them to come and stand beside me Uh, that would be eric savannah and jamie rodriguez y'all give them a big hand today coming over from maranatha and this is a sweet family and we want you to give them a big Flat Creek welcome this morning um, and make sure that you shake their hands here in just a moment. Uh, Also, this past week we had revival and we had many people that were saved, but we also had Celebrate Recovery on uh, on, uh, uh, Thursday evening. We had one saved there, Samantha. Samantha, why don't you come up here with me? Y'all give Samantha a big hand today. This is Chris Hoffman and Carolyn Hoffman's daughter. And uh, we've been praying for Samantha for some time. So I want y'all to come and shake her hand as well as we have a time of fellowship and sing the song, The Old Rugged Cross. Shake the hands of those around you and come shake these hands up here as we continue to worship together today.
1: your savior that uh that's an exciting song i hope that's the way you sang it uh one day we get to look forward like you said today would be a very pretty day (laughs) for the sky to split open and i see those fingers of god just rip through the cosmos and him say it's time to come on home trade that cross for a crown but listen I made a mistake in the early service and I need to correct it I said that this next song was just an evangelistic song not just a song of testimony that's incorrect on my part listen we're going to sing the song mighty to save and I made the mistake of thinking that I don't need to preach this to myself every day when I wake up listen it doesn't matter if you are a lost person it doesn't matter if you got saved this morning or if you've been saved for a lifetime If we don't preach the gospel to ourselves every day, how could we possibly effectively share it with those around us? Let's sing this song together. Everyone needs
2: compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me, everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. Sing. Shine your light and let the whole world see We're singing for the glory of the
1: risen King Praise God this morning. Are you excited? He's the risen King. Thank you. Please be seated.
3: Oh, the grave that I was in Oh, the crushing weight of sin Buried neath the crashing waves Sinking near to rise again Jesus pulled me to the shore And grace abounded all the more and i was changed that very hour rescued by the savior's power oh jesus our redeemer great defender overcomer christ the victor there's no other praise his name Forevermore, with my last and
2: final breath passing through the door of death, I will pray just like your son, not my will but yours.
0: What a great song that is. Listen, if you are in the room today and you're between the ages of kindergarten and the fifth grade and you have pre-registered to go to our children's church, the workers are going to meet you right here behind the piano. And so you can go ahead and make your way there at this time. And as they're making their way that direction, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles today to the book of Romans, chapter number six, the book of Romans, chapter six, verse eight through verse number 11, as we continue this walkthrough of the book of Romans, now I do want to say thank you to Flat Creek Baptist Church over the last three weeks because I haven't actually stood in the pulpit for three weeks. I told the 8.30 service, I'm geared up, I'm ready to go, and I might preach a little longer today than normal because after three weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Um, but I do want to say thank you for having the patience with me to be able to go and preach revival than to unexpectedly deal and grieved with the passing of my grandfather. And then last week, of course, we had Big Tent Revival out here. And what a great week we just had. Amen. I mean, it was awesome. Great preaching, great worship, the altar filled every night, six salvations, nine baptisms just over the course of Sunday to Wednesday. And I truly believe with all of my heart that the uh, results of that revival are going to last far beyond just what happened under the big tent last week. I believe that God has been moving here for some time at Flat Creek. Now, today we're going to be looking at Romans 6, verse 8 through 11. Uh, I want to bring a message to you today entitled, What If Jesus Lives? What If Jesus Lives? Now, I was thinking about this story that I heard about a little girl that was in Sunday school class, and it was right around Easter time. And the Sunday school teacher she asked the question. She said, "Does anybody know what today is?" And one little girl, her hand went right up, and she said, "It's Palm Sunday." And the teacher said, "You're right." And because it's Palm Sunday, what does that mean? Next week is. And the little girl hand went up again, and she once again she said, "That means next Sunday's Easter." She said, that's right. And what is Easter about? And her little hand went up again. And she said, that's the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the teacher was just about to commend her. And that little girl said, but if he sees his shadow, he's got to go back in for seven days. (laughs) Got a little confused there. We don't want confusion today as it pertains to where we are in the book of Romans. Now, as we come back, let me just real briefly, kind of give you an overview so that we can kind of get our minds and hearts back into the ebb and flow of this beautiful letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. And let me remind you that Paul's central focus of the entire letter is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the main idea of everything he writes. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 1, you remember that Paul there In his opening words, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, listen, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. So when we think about the gospel, the gospel is the message of God's only begotten son. And who is his son? the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word gospel in the Greek is the word euangelion. It literally means good tidings or good news. You might think of those angels in that shepherd's field the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was born, how they said, behold, we bring to you good tidings, good news of great joy. Today a Savior has been born. Good news. And friends, indeed, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is good news. So here we are, Romans 1.1, Paul says, the gospel, the good news. And so we naturally expect that Paul is going to give us good news. However, that's not where he begins. Instead, Paul begins by giving us bad news. In fact, he gives us this extensive review of the human race. And he tells us of our propensity to sin. He tells us of our idolatrous inclinations and our all-out hatred of God. In a nutshell, what the Apostle Paul tells us is that the entire human race is totally depraved and separated from a holy God. Everyone from the pagan Gentile to the overly religious Jew. If he were writing in our day, he would say everyone from the unreached people group to the Buddhist, to the Hindu, to the Muslim, to the average church member, the whole world is guilty and deserving of the wrath of God. If you could sum up the first three chapters of the book of Romans, you could sum it up with this one word, condemnation. Guilty, guilty in the courtroom of God because of our sin. You know, I can remember as we walked through those first three chapters of the book of Romans and how everything speaks of us being guilty before God and the wrath of God coming against the sinner. And I can remember so many Sundays standing in the pulpit and I would go home in the afternoon and, and I would come here the next day and I would tell Summer and I would tell Caleb, man, I feel like all I'm doing is just beating our congregation up. For eight or nine weeks, all I preached was the wrath of God, the judgment of God against the ungodly. And I can remember so many times during those weeks saying, I cannot wait to get to chapter 3 and verse 21. Because when we get to chapter 3 and verse 21, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the depravity, in the midst of the evil, there is hope. Chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, whether you're the pagan Gentile the overly religious Jew, the unreached people group, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Muslim, or the average church member. We all need the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Christ is the gospel of God by which he saves the world. If you could sum up chapter 321 to 521, you could sum up those three chapters with this word, the word justification. Justification, the one time declaration of God upon the sinner who believes in Christ Jesus, justified. Not guilty. Declared righteous in his sight. The one who is guilty is no longer guilty. The one who is unrighteous is no longer unrighteous because you have been given an extrinsic righteousness. It's been imputed to your account an alien righteousness, not your own, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and thereby not guilty in the courtroom of God. mean just think of what Paul writes. He writes in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he quotes David in the Psalms. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered blessed is the man whose sin the lord will not take into account friends that's good news your sins are no longer remembered your sins are cast as far as the east is to the west your sins have been forgiven in christ jesus never to be remembered again now the joys of justification give way to the process of sanctification in the life of the believer in chapter number 6 and that's where we find ourselves this morning in the depths of the doctrine of ju- of sanctification now in case you've forgotten what sanctification is let me give you a definition sanctification is the process of being set apart it's the process of being consecrated as a holy vessel to be used for the glory of god Sanctification is the state of growing in divine grace as a result of conversion. It's an act of God, of God's grace, through the inner working of the Holy Spirit by which the affections of the believer are purified and alienated from sin and the world and exalted to a supreme love for God. Now, just a little over a month ago, we started looking at this this work of sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And during that time, really, we looked at two messages from Romans 6 which dealt with the results of crucifixion in the life of the believer. You might remember chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, a message which we entitled, Being Dead to Sin. And how the Apostle Paul says there, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? The following week, we looked at what it means when the old man dies, verse 4 through 7. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin's claims. The results of the crucifixion in the life of the believer... You've been crucified with christ therefore sin has been put to death the day we're going to pick up in verse 8 through 11 verse 8 through 11 we're going to pick up on what i consider to be one of the lost components of most modern day gospel presentations and that's the result of the resurrection in the life of the believer listen to what the bible says paul writes verse 8 through 11 now if we have died with christ we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, if you would travel across our country today and go to the vast majority of churches, which preach the gospel, they focus normally solely on the death of Christ and what that means for us, and rightfully so. First Corinthians, the apostle Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't come in fancy speech and brilliant wisdom. I came preaching Christ and him crucified. We must preach the death of Christ. There is no gospel without the crucifixion. However, can I remind everyone in the room today that the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ is only part of the story. For we know that three days later, he gloriously resurrected from the tomb. And when you scan the pages of the New Testament, what you will find is that the resurrection of Jesus is central to any gospel presentation, so central that the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection of Christ, we are still in our sins. And we're to be pitied more than anyone. I've said it numerous times from the pulpit over the years. If someone could actually produce the body of the Lord Jesus Christ today and verify that it was actually him, Christianity crumbles. Our entire faith hinges on whether or not Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now oftentimes the resurrection is relegated to Easter Sunday morning. And the only time we hear about the resurrection is is normally in light of what it means for eternal life. Death no longer is master over him, and so shall his followers one day live, never feeling the sting of death. However, friends, I want you to know that the benefits of Christ's resurrection are not only for eternity future. The benefits of of, of his resurrection are for your earthly present. How sad... If the story stops the day that you give your life to Christ and doesn't pick back up for 50 years when you breathe your last breath. Friends, the resurrection changes your life now. The resurrection and what it produces in the believer is to be lived out in the present. This may shock you, but eternal life doesn't begin the day you die. Eternal life begins the day that you give your life to Christ. In order for us to truly grasp the power of the resurrection and what it means for the believer, I want us to just take a brief look at the resurrection account. If you'll jump back with me to Luke 24. I'll be honest with you, I, I wrestled whether or not to read through the resurrection account with you this week. I thought they all know it. Why do they want to hear it again? But you know what? The gospel is so sweet. Remember the hymn, I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story that I've loved so long. May we never g- grow weary of talking about the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 24, but on the first day of the week, that's Sunday. This is three days after that fateful day when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins of the world. He who knew no sin becoming sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Remember that for three years, Jesus had walked with his disciples, and for three years, he had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to hand me over to the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to resurrect from the dead. You might even remember that account of him and the Pharisees in John chapter number 2. And Jesus said there, if you tear down this temple, speaking of his body, I will raise it up again in three days. And when we come to Luke 24, we find that there are these women. They're coming to the tomb of Jesus. Remember the last time they laid their eyes on him. The last time they saw him was on Friday when they stood beneath the cross. They saw his mangled and tortured body hanging upon a tree as he became a curse for us. They saw the crown of thorns. They saw the nails. They saw the sword-pierced side. They heard his cries as Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They even heard him shout on that Friday afternoon, It is finished, just before he hung his head in death. And they had watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had went before Pilate to to get permission to take down the, the corpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken the body of Jesus and put it in a borrowed rich man's tomb. And they had watched as the soldiers of Rome and those Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests and scribes had sealed it shut and put guards at the door so that no one could steal the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as they were approaching the tomb in Luke 24 that morning, understand all hope was lost. The one they loved, the one they left everything to follow was dead. Luke 24:1 says they were coming with spices. This is the burial custom of the Jews. They were coming literally to anoint his body with spices in order to mask the smell of decay. They were coming to basically embalm him. They knew he was dead. They watched him die. But the Bible says on the first day of the week, at early dawn they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothes. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still with you. And he told you he was going to Galilee after he was resurrected from the dead. And he said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise from the dead. Just imagine the scene as these women, they run from the tomb and they go and tell the disciples and and imagine the ruckus in the streets, if you will, as these disciples and these women are running back and forth trying to determine what took place. It was just a little while later that afternoon that they're locked in the upper room, because of the fear of the Jews, and the Bible says that the Lord Jesus appeared to them, and for the next forty days they fellowship with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the message they took to the world. This is the message. They proclaimed, this is the message that they said could guarantee forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God, and eternal life. Jesus Christ dead, Jesus Christ buried, Jesus Christ resurrected. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Listen to what Paul writes there, beginning in verse number 1. He says, now if I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as in first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Listen, verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, for I am least of the apostles not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain. What Paul is saying there at the end in verse 9 and verse number 10, he's saying if you want to know the power of the gospel, if you want to know the power of the resurrection, look at me. The one who used to persecute the church, who's now the preacher at the church, Jesus Christ, I was encountered by him. I've never been the same. I was changed by it. And this is the gospel I proclaim. And friends, here's what I want to say to each one of you today as we jump back to Romans chapter number 6, verse 8. I want you to zero in on this one little word found there in verse 8. Now if. Now if you have died with Christ. We believe we shall also live with him. That word, if, is a conditional word and so much hinges on it. Meaning that what follows is only true if the condition is met. Paul is simply reiterating what he wrote in verse 5 of chapter 6. Now, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, if we have been crucified with Christ, then we have also been resurrected with Christ. So understand, dear brother and sister, to experience the resurrection power of Christ in your life, you must first be crucified with him. That's the condition which must be met. So before I can look at the benefits of the resurrection and before I can put them before you today I must first ask you this question have you died with Christ has the old man ever been nailed to the cross and died with him you see perhaps the reason that some of you aren't experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in your life rests solely in the fact that you have never died with Christ somebody will ask the question well how do I know How do I know if I have died with Christ? Well, you answer the question simply by asking this question. What is your relationship with sin? Has sin been put to death in your mortal body? What does verse 6 and 7 say? Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves To sin for he who has died is freed from sins claims friends the one who has been crucified with Christ is no longer a slave to sin in verse in chapter 6 what Paul is saying to us is the one who has been crucified with Christ you are no longer in bondage to that old taskmaster which used to have you in shackles how do you know that you're no longer in bondage to sin well what's he saying the one who has died is freed from sin's claims. You know what's beautiful? That word free that Paul uses there in chapter 6 is the same word that he used for justified in chapter 4 and 5. What he's saying is this. The one who has died with Christ is freed, is not guilty free from the power, free from the penalty, and one day free from the presence of sin. You are free from sin's claims, Paul says. If a slave dies, what does it say, verse 7? For he who has died is freed from sin. If a slave dies, guess what that means? He is no longer a servant of his master. No slave owner goes to a corpse and demands work. No slave owner goes to a corpse and demands labor. Why? The slave is dead. There is no life. So for those of you who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and are still caught in the same vices that you were caught in before your supposed salvation, I simply ask you to examine your heart. You see, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've been encountered by this. A pastor, I just can't kick the habit of pornography. I mean, I try. I do good for a few days, but I always go back to it. Or pastor, I just can't help myself. I know the Bible tells me that I should be sober-minded. I know that drunkenness is a sin. I do good for a little while, but then I fall again. The list goes on and on. Friends, listen to me. If sin is dead, then why are you allowing it to live? Somebody will say, well, I'm not the one allowing it to live. Well, who is? Because God's not allowing it to live. God put sin to death through the Lord Jesus Christ. If sin is alive, it is alive because you are letting it live. And as long as you let sin live in your body, you can never fully experience the blessed union that is found with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to submit to you, and I want you to listen real carefully to what I'm going to say because I believe this pertains to somebody under the sound of my voice right now. There are many today who are content with a crucified Jesus because a crucified Jesus can make no demands. Meaning, if Jesus' death actually forgives me of my sins then I'll take that because I want to be forgiven. However, you would prefer that the stone lay rolled against the entrance of the tomb. And you would prefer that it remains sealed and secured forever because a resurrected Lord demands a new way of life. Amen. A resurrected Lord demands that the old man can never live again. Nick Ripken famously stated this years ago in his book, The Insanity of God. He said, if Jesus is resurrected, it changes everything. What if Jesus is alive? Well, number one, if he's alive, your life is radically different than it was before. If Jesus is alive and you are saved and born again, you are radically different than you were before. Chapter 4, or chapter 6, verse 4, we read it a moment ago, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised, from the dead through the glory of the Father. So we too. Now, you'll notice throughout this entire text, the first 11 verses, you, could, you continue to see this word, we and us. Understand that what Paul is, is giving to us is not exclusive to some super apostle. It's not, inclu- it's, not, it's not exclusive to just the pastor or just the worship minister or just the deacons of the church. When he says we or us, he's speaking to all believers. If we have been buried with him, then just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. The Greek word for newness is the Greek word kanetas. It's a newness of life which is produced by the Holy Spirit. What you were, you are no more. Probably the clearest illustration of that is the illustration of the caterpillar. You think about that little caterpillar out in your yard. You see him in the summertime. He's crawling over grass. He's crawling over the dirt. He's crawling all around eating the the dirt and the dust of the earth, down there in the muck and the mire. But one day, because he's prompted by God, he climbs up a tree. He makes his way out onto a branch. He gets out on a little green leaf there, and he literally entombs himself what's known as a chrysalis or a cocoon and there that little caterpillar will lay for a matter of days until finally one day one day that that little cocoon becomes open and these little wings begin to flutter and that that caterpillar that went in a caterpillar comes out transformed as a butterfly he used to climb in the dirt of the earth but now he soars in the heavens transformed What he once was, he is no more. And that's a great picture of what happens to us in salvation. We are transformed. We are different now. We've been made completely new. You might think of the Lord Jesus Christ in that resurrected Sunday morning. And remember that Mary is there, Mary Magdalene. Peter and John have already come, but Mary is standing there at the tomb and a man comes and approaches her, and what does she think? It's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him. It's not until Jesus speaks to her that she recognizes that it was Jesus. So it is with us. The world will marvel at the change and will not believe what they're seeing with their own eyes because you and I are radically different than we were before we came to Christ and the reason they can't believe it is because it can only be discerned spiritually you see friends the type of transformation which is produced by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen dramatically across the pages of the Gospels and the book of Acts just think about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 they were despondent They were dejected. They were downtrodden. The one they had followed was dead. And furthermore, they had been told that day that his body was no longer in the tomb. They didn't know what happened to him. And from their own testimony, they said what? We thought, we thought that he might be the Messiah, that he might be the deliverer. And then the Lord Jesus resurrected approaches them. And they have dinner with him that night and when their eyes are open, what do they do? They run seven miles back to Jerusalem to let everybody know we had dinner with him and everything that is said about him in the scriptures is true. They were radically different in the evening than they were in the morning. Thomas, the doubting Thomas, I'll never believe unless I can see the nail prints, unless I can actually reach out and touch him. I will never believe. A week later, the Lord Jesus, Thomas, see and believe. And Thomas journeys the world and becomes a martyr of Christ. Peter, standing beside a fire, denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Is so downtrodden, he says, I'm going back to the fishing boat. Let's just go back, boys, back to our old way of life. But there on the Sea of Galilee, he sees the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is restored three times, just like he denied him three times, and just a few days later, he's standing on the day of Pentecost in front of the very people that put Jesus to death, and he says, you nailed him to a cross, and you killed him, but this is God's predetermined plan of salvation, and if you put your faith and trust of him, you can be forgiven of sins. That's a radical change. Saul of Tarsus, who's writing the book of Romans, Persecuted, or the persecuting, the, the man who persecutes the church. Yet here he is, the apostle of Jesus. That's a radical change. Friends, if you've never been changed, you've never been saved, there should be a marked difference in your life as to who you are now and who you were before salvation. You know, I always look back at Just a few hours after I got saved, actually the next morning I was in drug rehab and I'll never forget this. There was a girl in this drug rehab program. I hadn't seen her in like 12 hours or so and and I gave my life to Christ and and I'm coming back into that, that that drug rehab camp there and as I'm walking into the camp, this girl is standing there and she looks at me. First time she had seen me after being saved and she said, what happened to you? And friends, listen, I didn't have enough sense at that moment to say, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in him. I've wished so many times, Philip, I could go back to that day and just tell her, I am different. Bless God, I met Jesus last night, and I was saved, and I'll never, ever, ever be the same. I've been transformed. The reason that this transformation is possible rests solely in the fact that you've been given new life in Christ Jesus through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus lives, you're radically different. Number two, if Jesus lives, you not only live for Christ, you live with Christ. You not only live for Christ, you live with Christ. What does it say there in verse 8? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Christ. Now, this verse certainly sounds future tense, doesn't it? Almost like Paul saying, if we've been saved, if we've been crucified, one day we shall live. And blessed be unto God, that is certainly an application that you could take from this text. However, in the context that Paul is writing, he's not talking about eternal life, he's talking about your life now and the nature of the resurrection in the life of the believer. And you notice that across these first 11 verses, there's so much that deals with our new identity in Christ. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Verse 4, therefore we've been buried with him. Verse 5, united with him. Verse 6, it says there, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Verse number 8, it says, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall live with Christ. Verse 11, in Christ Jesus, you see this unity beginning to form. You might remember there in verse number 5, it says if we become united with him, the Greek word for united there means to plant. It's the picture of a wild branch being grafted into the vine. Therefore, his life, now becomes our life. Say in chapter 15 of the book of John, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. You can do nothing without me. Why? It's because his life is now our life. Now you will notice what the text does not say. The text does not say, having died with Christ, we shall now live for him. Now there is a sense in which we should live for Christ. We should always be on mission for Christ. We should always be seeking to fulfill the Great Commission, and we should always live for his glory. However, the text before us does not say anything about living for Christ. Instead, it says we now live with him. What a difference this makes. For if we have this perspective, it makes us cognizantly aware there is nothing we do, nowhere we go, no one we meet, Without Christ being right there with us. You know, I remember when I first went into ministry, Summer's little sister is named Rebecca. And Rebecca was a part of a youth group. And one day she called me on the phone and she said, Zach, I just wondering, uh, we're having a play. And I was just wondering if you could play the part of Jesus. And I said, well, Why do you want me to play Jesus? And she said, Because you have a beard. And I said, Okay, fair enough. But now I got roped into something. You see, I didn't know it really wasn't a play. It was actually a dance that I was supposed to do. And, and I have no rhythm. I'm not a dancer. And, but anyway, it was actually what in the Baptist church we call interpretive movement, <laughs> 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 which is even better than dancing. Uh, but anyway, interpretive movement. But I want you to, I want you to listen because actually this, this little interpretive movement that we did is actually pretty profound. It, it, it told the story of this girl and and I played the part of Jesus. And my sister-in-law actually played the part of the girl. And, 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 it, and it started with, with me as Jesus on one side of the stage. And she, she comes over and, and I begin to have a conversation with her. She takes me by the hand and, and we begin to walk together. And so me and her, we, we walk across the stage hand in hand. And when we get to this side of the stage, suddenly out of the back room comes an individual dressed in all black, representation of temptation and sin. And they begin to talk to her in her other ear and as they're talking to her and they're kind of holding her hand she then takes me back and puts me on this side of the stage and then she goes walking with the sin but as she walks I playing the part of Jesus I begin to follow her and when we get over here this time Another temptation comes out. She turns around and sees me. She grabs me by the hand. She leads me back to this side of the stage and leaves me there and begins to walk away again. And I begin to follow her again. And this plays out five or six times as she continually is is being, uh, being tempted by sin, going into that sin, and then leading me back to that side of the stage. Friends, can I tell you this today? That's a great example because you don't check Christ at the door when you decide to go back into sin. Understand, if you're a believer, he is right there with you. So spouse, you need to remember that the next time you stay up late at night and look at images on your phone you shouldn't be looking at. If you're a believer, Christ Jesus is right there with you. You need to remember that the next time you pick up the phone to call somebody and give the latest round of gossip. Because if you're a believer in Christ, he's right there with you. You need to remember that the next time you become so enraged at someone that you're going to lash out in a volatile tirade against them. If you're a believer, he's right there with you. You need to remember that when you're walking down the street and there's a homeless man or woman begging for food. He's right there with you. You need to remember that when somebody calls you late at night because they have or they need a shoulder to cry on. He's right there with you. You need to remember that the next time somebody walks through those doors who has a lifestyle that you don't agree with and your tendency isn't compassion, rather it's to walk to the other side of the room. Remember, he's right there with you. Remember that the next time that you're in a situation and the Holy Spirit is prompting you to speak on his behalf, he's right there with you. I said this two weeks ago. His life is my life. His thoughts are my thoughts. His heart is now my heart. His compassion is my compassion. His mercy is my mercy. His forgiveness is my forgiveness. His patience is my patience. His grace is my grace. His love is my love. How long does that union last? I mean, just how long will he actually walk with me? Can I ever lose that relationship? Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, you notice the certainty there. He doesn't say, now Christ, if being raised from the dead, he says, now Christ, having been raised. Certainty is never to die again. death no longer has master over him. You know what that means? Jesus will never, ever... Ever go back into the grave. And that lets you and me know that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ. This union with Christ, which began the day you were saved, it will last for all eternity. How do we know? Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin. Notice it does not say that he died because of sin. He was sinless. In fact, if Jesus had not willingly given up his life as a sacrifice for you and me, he would have never died. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. So the consequence of death would have never been felt in his humanity had he not willingly given up his life as a sacrifice unto God for the sins of the world. He did not die because of sin. He died to sin. What's the Bible say? Once for all. His death is sufficient for every sin which has ever been committed by every single person who has ever lived. He died once for the sins of all. He does not need to die again. He does not need to be sacrificed every day. He does not need to be offered up once a year like in the Old Testament when they would yearly offer up bulls and goats. He shed his perfect blood once and for all as our perfect high priest. For this is good stuff. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. I know you're probably tired of listening, but as I said, I ain't preached in three weeks. <laughs> Just let me be for a minute. <laughs> Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place year by year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you understand how secure you are? If you could actually lose your salvation, the only way to regain it would be to re-crucify Christ Jesus. But you know what? He died once for the sins of the world. He doesn't need to die over and over again. But do you understand, dear believer, what happened at the resurrection? You might look prophetically to Psalm 24 when David wrote, who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Who, David says, which one of us can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Which one of us can step up to his gates and stand in his holy place based on our own merits? None of us. Paul argues in Romans, we are totally depraved, unholy sinners, banished forever from the presence of the Lord without the righteousness of Christ given to us. There is only one in all of human history who can ascend the mountain of the Lord, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine the scene as he arises from the tomb, and he's standing there with Mary, and he says, I'm ascending to my Father to my God and to your God, there in the portals of glory. For the first time in the history of the world, a resurrected, glorified man approaches the gates. Three days ago, his body was mangled. Three days ago, his body was tortured. Three days ago, he breathed his last and died. But now he's defeated death and he approaches the gates. And as he approaches the gates, he's carrying a basin of his own blood. And from the other side of the gate comes a shout, who dares to ascend the mountain of the Lord? Jesus simply shouts back at the gates, lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The shout comes back, who is this king of glory? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, Jesus shouts again, lift up your head, O gates, and lift up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And imagine the scenes as those heavenly portals, the gates open wide. And the glorified Lord Jesus Christ walks through the gates and all of heaven is at a standstill. All is quiet as the saints who have gone before and the angels who are normally in festive gathering. Everyone is silent as Jesus walks through that celestial land and walks up to the throne of God which is encircled with an emerald rainbow where the seraphim shout day after day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and no one No one can stand in his presence, but Jesus with his own blood walks into the throne room of God, presents his own blood, sinless blood to his father and says, it is finished and sits down at the right hand of the father in the seat of authority. Mission accomplished. Who, who will remove him from that seat of authority? WHO WILL TAKE HIM OFF OF HIS THRONE? WHO WILL REVOKE HIS COVENANT SEALED IN HIS OWN PRECIOUS BLOOD THAT HE HAS MADE WITH THE BELIEVER? WHO WILL SEPARATE YOU FROM HIS HAND? NOTHING. NOTHING IN ALL THE EARTH. NOTHING, NO ONE WILL EVER SEPARATE YOU FROM THE LOVE OF GOD found in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have become his follower, if you have died with him, if he lives in you, if he lives with you, there is nothing done for his glory that you can't accomplish because he is the one who gives you the power. For the life he lives, he lives to God. And the life he lives through the Holy Spirit now lives in you. What does he say? Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's point number three. His life is now your life. I could go on and on, but let me just close by saying this. I'll run through this. His life is now your life. Remember what I said a few weeks ago, how we've got this invitation wrong for so long? How we say you need to give your life to Christ and how that's actually wrong. It's not that you need to give your life to Christ. Christ wants to give his life to you can only be alive to God in Christ Jesus if you have received his life. On the one hand, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. No longer do I delve into vain pursuits. No longer do I succumb to the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. No longer do I give my body as members for unrighteousness. There's been plenty of time living for my own wants and desires, plenty of time living for my own glory. Where did it get It rendered me dead in my trespasses and sins, and you as well. It rendered me lost and separated from a holy God. It rendered me doomed for hell. Why would I ever want to go back to that way of life? In fact, I can't. For his life is now my life. I now live for his glory. I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. The difference that Jesus makes. I once was dead in sins, but through the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been made alive. When I was a young preacher, I used to say it like this. I don't know, it may not be theologically the most accurate thing in the world, but I like it, so I'm going to say it. I used to always say this all the time. I'd say, you know, they say today, that dead men are not resurrected anymore. Yes, they are. You're looking at one. I was once dead, but I've been made alive in Christ Jesus. I never knew what life was until I came to him. There was a time when I thought money and pleasure and power and popularity, that that was the key to living until I met the Lord Jesus Christ and I realized the key to living is dying. The old man must die. And now that Christ lives in me. I live for the Father's glory. What could be greater with this? I close with the words of St. Patrick encrusted on his breastplate. Christ with me, Christ in me. Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me. Christ to comfort me, Christ to restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in the hearts of all men that love me, Christ in the mouth of friend and stranger. I bind myself unto his holy name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one, the one in three, of whom all nature hath creation. Eternal Father, Spirit, and Lord, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Speaking of the, resurrection power of Jesus what if he lives well number one there's a radical difference number two you don't just live for him you're living with him number three his life is now your life maybe you're here today and you're like so many this last week during revival that had no relationship with Christ when they stepped onto our property but before they left The Lord Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit began to call their name and they said yes to Jesus. Seven people just last week gave their heart to Jesus. And maybe today you could say in your heart, I've never been crucified with Christ. I certainly don't live with Christ, but I want today to be the day of salvation. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Anybody at all? Amen. I see you over here to my left. Anybody else today? I got you right back there, sister. Anybody else today need to give your life to Christ? Listen, I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer like this and understand it's not the words that, that Pastor Zach says. It's the, it's the prayer of your heart. I'm just going to pray this as a God. You just pray something like this in your heart right now. For the two that raised their hand, you praised something like this in your heart. Father God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. For the very first time today, I need to give my life to Christ Jesus. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. And you promise in your word that whosoever calls on you shall be saved. And so I'm calling on you now to save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. For those two that prayed to receive Christ, that raised their hand and said, I need to give my life to Christ. I'm going to ask you to make a really bold move, okay? really bold move, and I know it might make you a little bit nervous, and that's okay. Listen, if you prayed to receive Christ, we're going to have this time of invitation, and I'm going to ask you to step out of that aisle where you are, step out of the pew, and I want you to come take me by the hand. One's already coming. As we sing, we want you to come if you've given your life to Christ today, okay? There was one more that raised her hand, and if you prayed that and wanted to be saved, I want you to come. As we stand to sing, Lord, be glorified. Would you stand and sing if you're the other person who prayed or maybe somebody else who didn't even raise their hand and you prayed to receive Christ. I want you to come right now. Come. Come to the altar, and we'll talk about your salvation this morning. Brother... Would you come today? This is your opportunity to come. Be glorified in my song, Lord. Be glorified today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want y'all to meet Jason. Y'all give Jason a big hand right here. it Jason. When I asked a moment ago if anybody wanted to give their life to Christ, Jason's hand went right up. And he said, I need to give my heart to Jesus. Ask him if he prayed to receive Christ and ask if he had uh, prayed this morning to to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what'd you say, Jason? Yes, sir, I did. Yes, sir, I did. I like that. Don't y'all like that? That's what it takes right there. Amen. (laughs) Beautiful thing is this. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jason has come today as a whosoever putting his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we're going to pray for Jason. We're going to pray as a benediction. And then, Jason, I might get you to stand right here, okay? And all these folks are going to come and love on you. Because you see this right now? All these folks that are in this room right now, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, man, you got a big old family. And right now in heaven, the Bible says, when one sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. I don't know how it works, man. What's your last name? True Love. True Love? Yeah. Hey, great last name. True Love. I like that. Got to go on a T-shirt, I believe. I like that. (laughs) But up in heaven right now, I don't know how it works, but man, they're saying, Jason, true love in heaven. And all the angels are rejoicing because of your salvation. And we want to rejoice alongside of you, okay? We're going to get you baptized, all all right? Let's pray for Jason. Father, thank you for Jason. Thank you for his willingness to come forward today and say yes to Christ Jesus, along with so many others in the last few days that have given their life to Christ. And at least one more who raised up her hand and said that she was considering Salvation, And it's okay, Lord, that sometimes it's a process. It takes some time, but we want to pray for that young lady. Uh, that, God, you begin to just kind of stir in her heart and, and either confirm a salvation that maybe has already taken place, maybe years ago, or, or maybe reveal her need for Christ today. It's, that's between you and her. And we pray God should work out her own salvation with fear and trembling. But what I want to pray for Jason today, Lord, is, is just your blessing upon his life. I pray God your Holy Spirit would fill him God, to to overflowing, that this young man would walk in the newness of life, no longer bound to the things of the world, but walking in lockstep with you all the days of his life. Thank you, God, for saving Jason. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen. Jason. You stay right here. Listen, this is going to close our service today. Uh, Two things. Number one, there is a business meeting tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, talking about some security protocols and those things. So uh, if you would like to hear some more about that, what we have going on, please be here 5 o'clock this evening for that meeting. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, secondly, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give on your way out the door or give at FlatCreekChurch.net. What a great day. Let's give the Lord a hand. Y'all come celebrate with Jason up here this morning. God bless Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're gonna encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you and for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net. 97.5
4: Glory FM. Today's contemporary gospel music and yesterday's favorites, you've got it right here on 97.5 Glory FM. Became soft, gentle fountains because of an old rugged cross. We have a Savior, such a wonderful Savior. Mercy's atonement, it's done sin's judgment. Grace made intercession, I'm free. Cause the pain and the heartache, the suffering I can't take, purchase redemption for me. And the true Lamb of Calvary is the hope of salvation. neon cities where the skyscrapers reach for the sky i've seen the rich and the famous in glamour and glitter as they search for some joy in the night while a few blocks from main street in an old cardboard ghetto another unknown life is lost But whether penthouse or skid row, there's one thing I still know, there's hope in the old rugged cross. The pain and the heartache The suffering I can't take Purchase redemption for me And the true Lamb of Calvary Is the hope of salvation He died on the old rugged tree Oh yeah mm, what a wonderful state. And the Shout
5: when we call people say his arms are always open for the runaways the outcasts and the Say he holds me through the tries. I can say that he's the closest kind of friend. I can say.
4: Five Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hi.